Hi, this is April Mazza. And this is Christy Showman Fair. And this podcast is Overdue. Where friends and colleagues, librarians, librarians, and each episode we talk about books we're reading, things we're loving, and library advice we're giving. Good morning, April. Good morning, Christy. How are you? I'm good. Good. I'm good. It's nice out. Beautiful weather. I wanted to mention about our last episode that was exciting. And one of the things that made editing and publishing and taking extra time was that we had a transcript. Yes, so exciting. (laughs) Yeah, it's our first transcript. We've sort of fooled around with different ways of doing that, but they're all very time consuming. So I tried out something called trans, uh, sorry, transcript, (laughs) descript, (laughs) descript, which sort of does it automatically, but you still have to go through and edit it, right? Like you want it to be readable. And I'm not even really sure what what we ended up with is like, it's definitely not the best perfect (laughs) transcript, but but it's readable. Yeah, it's readable and it's accessible. And that's the important thing. Right. And descript is free up to a certain number of minutes. So eventually this will be something that we're going to pay for. And I'm excited about that. But that's one of the reasons why we have opened up a Patreon account and our coffee Ko-Fi account so that, you know, we can offset some of the costs of producing a podcast. Also, we want to be able to give our listeners and also followers, maybe people who need the transcript because they aren't able to hear it audibly. We want to give everyone the best experience. So that's just sort of one way and one cost that we've come up against. We're also working with an artist who's also a librarian colleague of ours. It's just like, would be really cool to be able to pay them for their talent and time to design a new logo for us that's customized. And that way we can also trademark that and our title, which we haven't done yet, because that all costs money too. So I just wanted to kind of put that plea out there that we're not just... We're not not asking you to fund our lives. No. (laughs) But both Christy and I, we do this on our off time now. We don't have an organization or a company that's supporting the podcast financially. So just to do these things that, again, we both think give our followers the best experience. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So how do people get there? Well, I'm still working on remembering things such as our email address. Our email is thispodisoverdue at gmail.com. Yes. So you can always write to us. And that's also where you can submit questions, which Mm -hmm. we love. But if you want to go right to our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash thispodisoverdue all one word. And then Ko-Fi is ko-fi.com slash this pod is overdue. Also all one word. And you can get to that and our show notes, the transcript, so much more from our website, which is (laughs) slash this podcast is overdue with hyphens between each word. This dash hyphen but yeah 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 they had to be they had to be difficult and because we have the free account there but again maybe if we get enough in our like little coffers we could pay for the account (laughs) and have a custom (laughs) website and they also there's also other perks if you're able to move beyond the free account but and then as always you can follow us on instagram at this pod is overdue and that's where we post pictures, news, updates, and sometimes some giveaways, which yes, exactly. we also have one brewing so people can look forward to that. We talked about it a while ago and then it kind of fell off our radar. Oh, yeah. I know. I still have the book. I have a few things to give away. Somewhere. So with that aside, 
Do you want to start off with what book you've been reading? I would love to. And then I actually also have a rabbit hole that I went into. So the book that I want to talk about this episode is called Rust in the Root by Justina Ireland. And it's not coming out until September. So I figure that this episode will come out in summer, build up a lot of like interest for the book and then everybody can go pre-order it because we really want to like support Justina Ireland. She's one of my favorite newish young adult authors. So you may recognize her name. She is the author of Dread Nation, which was historical fantasy, kind of a reimagining of the civil war, but with zombies. Mm. And this one is similar in that I, I, I actually think I'd like to classify it as speculative historical fiction mm-hmm. kind of about what if history was this other way. So this is set in 1937, starts in New York City, and it's following this young woman, a young Black woman named Laura Ann Langston, and she wants to become a famous mage. So magic is wow. a thing that happens, but they don't call it magic. It's it's call, It has a whole separate kind of like understanding. It's called dynamism. And it's basically tapping into the the energy of the world. But she really just wants to go and get a license because you have to, if you're black, you have to get a license to oh. use dynamism because it, it is still historically accurate in that there's a lot of racism around and mm. black people are marginalized. In this world, the the Great Depression is happening, but it is in a different kind of way. There's this, on the other side of dynamism, there is ecomancy, which is what we know as science, but it's powered by some other force. And that's basically very much held up by white society. And all of a sudden, mechmancy things like factories and cars just stop working in certain parts of the country. And of course, the, the what's it called? Art. The economy. That's oh. it. I'm like using my hands as <laughs> that if, really like, important that thing. <laughs> <laughs> the economy has, is collapsing in, in those areas. And so Laura Ann ends up kind of being part of this group that is similar to Roosevelt's conservation crew that mm. went and created the national parks. But this conservation group is made of black mages who are going into these like they're called rust areas, trying to fix everything. And of course it's much bigger and more mm. magnificent than you can ever imagine. And it sounds I'm, fascinating. Like, it is so, so unique. Something yes. I've never heard of yes. before. Yes. So unique. And I, I'm reading it as an advanced copy from, I don't know where Net-Galley? right now. Yes. Or, thank you. Okay. <laughs> I have not had enough coffee today, but I, I've been reading it every night before bed and it is so good. So well-written, so interesting. And one of the things that I think is particularly cool about it is that they've gone through and found historical photographs from the 1930s and they're using them and like they'll have a house in the book and then like the caption kind of ties it to the story even though it's an actual picture you know like right kind of area but it but they make it fit into the story and it's super cool. So it makes it feel like maybe this was history. Yeah, maybe I'm cool. the one who doesn't know what's going <laughs> right. on in the world. Maybe this is a thing that happens. And and of course, like the way the magic works is so incredibly cool. And the way that real history is woven into the story is just fantastic. Justina mm-hmm. Ireland is a master total master of this. No, I don't think I've genre. ever read any of her books. Dread Nation and the, yeah. the follow-up were fantastic. They're 
are other examples of this, you know, like kind of alternate history, but a lot of the alternate histories are like, oh, what would happen if Adolf Hitler won? This is like adding a layer of speculative right, the fantasy, fantasy part, on right. top. Yeah. And it's cool. so incredible. But so my, my rabbit hole, <laughs> I wanted to like go and find a little bit more information, you know, like maybe find the blurb that the, the publisher had for the book or something in preparation for the recording. And when I Googled rust in the root, not surprisingly, Rusted Root came up, oh. you know, that band from the <laughs> yes. 90s. And so then I had to listen to the music video because the song shows up and everything shows up in like all these movies and stuff. So I was like listening to it, watching the video. And then I was like, oh, I haven't watched this video since the 90s. And this makes me really uncomfortable. It's very oh, like, yeah, I can't even think of the video. It's, it's the band. They're out in the middle of kind of mm-hmm. desert mountains dancing around singing and then there's an elder native american showing up here and there uh, okay and it very very much feels like cultural appropriation yeah. and so then i was like i need to find out like is what's the man the actually right. native american like what's the story behind the video and i i couldn't find it other than i did find a really like awesome takedown of the video that was written in 2014 <laughs> that basically confirms all the icky feelings I have mm. about the video. I'm like, oh good. It's not just me. Right. Okay, cool. But yeah, so I was like, I lost all of my time because I was trying to find out about Rusty <laughs> right. Root's video. It has nothing this to do video with video from years ago. Yeah. 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 So what did you well, read? So I read something a little bit similar, but minus the magic. <laughs> it's, well, I have to say, I'm I'm Are still you reading sure about that. Yeah, I'm still Not reading this book, so I I couldn't say for sure, but from what I understand, I'm reading Liberty by Caitlin Greenidge, and she wrote We Love You, Charlie Freeman. That's her first novel. I haven't read that, but I've heard a lot about it, and it like won all sorts of prizes and accolades. Hmm. And I can for see why. Ups, is it for? Liberty teens? is, yes, is a grown-up book, but there's a lot of teen crossover, I think, okay. because, so I found out about it because I follow the Metro West Commission on the Status of Women on Facebook, Ooh. and it's, yeah, it's a women's advocacy group, but also issues around race and things like that, so it's not just for women but that but that's what they're called but they also do things like they have events like salary negotiation workshops Ooh, cool. and things like that yeah so i'll put their link in the show notes too because other people might want to follow them i do i found out about cool stuff from their facebook page and including they started a diversity book club that's all virtual and it's only going to meet like three times from now till the end of the year and the first meeting is the Sunday for Juneteenth. And they had two books to choose from. And one of them was called Juneteenth by Ralph Ellison, which I have also, but I haven't started it yet. And then Liberty was sort of their adult slash YA choice. So of course I went for that first. What's similar is that it is historical fiction and it does center around black families. And it begins in the, in I'm sorry, 1860, not 1960. It's a big difference. In 1860, in this community that is a free Black town or a neighborhood of Brooklyn, and the main character is named Liberty, and her mother is one of the first female Black doctors in the United States, and actually, yeah, and actually is based on a historical figure that was one of Caitlin's inspirations. And so I don't want to give too much away about the beginning because I didn't really know much about the book and when I started it I was like what in the world is going on (laughs) like there's this dead guy that needs to be resurrected and 
he's brought to this black woman who's a doctor and it's like how can any of this be happening so i don't i don't want to give too much away because i really like magic well there you'll see if you read it but i want to now because that yeah that's that's, ah. it's very intriguing (laughs) and and that's the thing like a lot of times i you know i pick a book and i know what it's about and mm-hmm. and i still have a great experience but there's also something really special about picking up a book knowing and nothing. really knowing nothing i yeah. just picked it because it, between the two choices this is the one i wanted to start with first so anyway let's just say liberty's mom she serves her community in ways that go beyond just being a doctor and liberty's young i can't remember exactly how young at the beginning of the book but maybe somewhere between like six and eight and i just loved reading her point of view at this time on the world and it in such a unique time and again i think Mm -hmm. i mean i know that there are lots of other books that take place during this time there may be other books that depict a a free community of black people Mm -hmm. not an enslaved community but i haven't read any this this is my first experience with that and liberty's observations of the world help me understand what would be going on at that time and Absolutely. what that felt like. And even though she was born free and lives in this free community, she's never known the experience of slavery for herself. But being Black very much is, you know, this sort of, what do I want to say? It's just always there, right? You right. know, and especially because her mother is light-skinned and this comes up a lot she suffers from colorism basically like even in her own community she is seen as less than because she's so much darker than other people and growing up with that and then as she gets older learning and experiencing the oppression of patriarchy and just when she thinks she's finding more freedom by not being oppressed as a black person she's realizing she's still getting it (laughs) because she's female so anyway her mom wants her to be a doctor and she feels very stifled so this theme of freedom comes up a lot where it's like free from what or free to do what Mm -hmm. and then of course you know it's related to her her name so she's she's not really drawn to being a doctor and that you know of course causes conflict too and so yeah i haven't finished it but i know that the book follows as she gets older she gets married and that theme of freedom continues throughout and how she grows and learns about the world and what i love about it the writing is just so amazing the author she's just like layers all these pieces and combined with the depiction of the community and what it's like to live in a free town and in the north but like the civil war is going on and just after and it did remind me of melinda lowe's book that i talked about before on the podcast last night at the telegraph club like you feel completely immersed in this time and place it's really really stunning so I highly recommend that as well. Yeah, it's really, really good. Thanks for sharing. Thank you for sharing. I think those are going to be two really good parallel picks. So the other day we got a question from my friend Cameron, who lives in California. He specifically said that it was for the podcast. So shout out to Cameron. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Um, you, Cameron. And he asked about the neurodivergent text 
that has come out. What do you think about the fonts and text for neurodivergent readers? And at first I was like, I don't think that there are, because he phrased it a different way. And I was like, I don't think there, there are any. But then when I thought about it, I was like, oh, wait, no. He was talking about this thing that has kind of gone viral on Twitter and TikTok, which is a, a way of bolding certain parts of a word that supposedly helps um, people read faster and comprehend more. And what it's called is bionic reading. And I can tell more about it. Or we can go for the question. I think uh, you should tell more about it yeah, because okay. I hadn't heard of it until you mentioned it. And I find it really fascinating. And then I also have questions, not necessarily yeah. ones you can answer, but just like, I'm curious. Well, I did about... a little bit of research to prepare. As we know, I am on TikTok fairly frequently <laughs> and I had seen this and I did actually do the side by side. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. I read that like much faster. But mm -hmm. the question also was, did I read it faster because it was the second time I read it mm. or because the, the font was different. But so it was developed by this typographic designer named Renato Kess. And he actually designed it originally because he was realizing that as he read, he had to translate as he reads in English, mm. he was translating in his head as he went. And so he realized that a lot of the words had similar roots. And if he bolded those, his brain actually then think of the word in, I think it's Italian that, instead of English. And so it was helping mm. him read and translate faster. So so it wasn't designed for neurodivergent mm -hmm. people, but some people, especially those who are sharing it on Twitter and stuff, or like read it and be like, wow, this really helps me. And the, the concept is that it like may help people who have ADHD focus a little bit better on big blocks of text or people who are autistic, who have challenges with big blocks of text to kind of like parse it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that says people love it. There is no research, like mm -hmm. zero research. Right. There, there's a, supposedly a study with 12 people that the designers did but it's not backed scientifically. It's still very so new. It is. Yeah, exactly. It's still very new. It made me also think about the about fonts that were designed for dyslexic readers. Mm -hmm. Like just, I think it's called just dyslexy. Yeah. Um, yes. And those are very different in that they are really backed by, by science and research, but neither thing is a hundred percent or it's not magic. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's not going to magically make everything fine and right. perfect because you use this font, but it is super cool. Right. So I looked at the link you had sent and it's like just a few letters of the first part of a word it looks like yeah. are bold. And I saw that first and then swiped to the sort of before of the text. I could tell a difference right away. I think especially on a phone, mm -hmm. um, I think just by the little I looked at it, that would be my preferred reading method on a phone. I didn't try it on my laptop. Mm -hmm. A book, I'm not so sure, but I feel like, a, yeah, like a printed article or web page or on my phone, it did come a lot faster to me because those blocks of text it are is. just yeah. difficult to get through. And yeah. and yeah, I think in the comments, so in the comments on Twitter, like you said, I mean, people were just like, I love this. I'm not neurodivergent. I don't have ADHD. I don't have, you know, this or that, but I'm finding this really easy to read and comprehend. And so I thought that was kind of interesting, but I was curious, like, is this an actual font? And it's, it's not, it's more like no. an application yeah, to text. Yeah. So yeah, you could so actually get like a Google Chrome extension. So it sounds like, say you are reading an article, you can add that to your extension and it would change the, the, 
type and there were some apps and things like that so that I thought was kind of interesting but I was curious like is it always the first three letters or does it depend on the length of the word? I think it depends on the length of the word because I have another user experience design blog that was talking about Mm -hmm. it and they have a couple examples there too and some of it is like the first four letters Mm -hmm. so I think it depends on how long the word is some of them it's four I haven't really Mm -hmm. gone through and looked at that one has five and so it is, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And like you, I knew of the font that's designed for people with dyslexia and it is called Dyslexi. I think there might be others, but this is one I knew. Yeah, there are a couple like ex- extensions mm-hmm. apps that kind of change for websites and others. What I did think was interesting is that instead of like looking at the rules of typography, they looked at the challenges that Mm -hmm. people with dyslexia have, and then they designed it that way. And I think that's so cool and so interesting. And that's how things should be designed, especially if we're trying to like overcome a challenge. So it was things like the bottoms of the letters are a little heavier so that they have a more of a baseline. And so they don't get kind of turned upside down and making letters actually look more different from each other. So like a B and a D, which can be mirrored or flipped. So I thought that was kind of interesting and yeah. and how they, both the dyslexia font or any that, you know, helps people with dyslexia and the bionic reading, again, are things that, well, one, the, the bionic reading wasn't even designed necessarily for that, but it's a, like a benefit yeah. but that both are, you know, if, even if they're u- the, used in such a way, even people without those issues will get something out of it, which is mm-hmm. kind of goes back to like universal design. And yes, yes, you know, that things that are designed maybe for someone, you know, with mobility issues, turns out it's good for lots of people, like a yep. cutout in a sidewalk so that like you kind of have a little ramp. Yeah. Like, that helps a lot of people. <laughs> and exactly. Not if our fonts mobility. were designed better for Mm -hmm. people who have language or reading challenges, then it would help everybody. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I constantly think about from just a writing development standpoint is how in the world did we get the alphabet we have? Like humans spend the first few years of their life trying to learn object permanence Mm -hmm. that, you know, like that this cup is still a cup, whether it's upright or it's on its side or it's like backwards. And yet we ended up with an alphabet that has yes. four letters <laughs> that are exactly the same. The right. Lowercase B, D, P, and Q, which are yeah. the exact same thing. Yeah. But now we have to know that they're different right. in different positions. Well, and, and then other languages too. I was going to say, and then throw G in there, lowercase G, just to kind of mess with you a little bit. Yep. <laughs> because yeah, even I have trouble with that. Like I'll be writing like lowercase Q and it comes out a G and I'm like, oh man. Like whoever designed this was yeah. lazy. Yeah. Like just, I, I was like, going to oh, say, I don't mean. know anything else. Like <laughs> I'll we'll just use the mean. same one. Yeah. Cruel. Well, I would be curious, you know, we'll put a link to those things in yeah. the show notes, but I'd be curious too, from our listeners, like, have you heard of bionic reading? Have you tried it out? What do you think? Yeah. yeah let I us know. know if like, if, if it actually, you know, if, if you've read more than like two paragraphs, <laughs> right. too, because that's all I've read. Right. And I, you know, it's like, oh yeah, that's something. Well, and I, really cool. I wonder too, if like, you know, we have large print books, could there mm. be, you know, space in the future yeah. for bionic reading text versions of, or be able to you change know, your, your Kindle mm-hmm. reader into yeah. that font. I could see that, that happening that, pretty easily. That, yeah. that I think that would be easy since you can already change it in so right. many other ways. Yeah. Let us know what you oh, think. Well, yeah. And thanks again, Cameron, for the question. That's a good question. 
So Christy, what have you been learning lately? I'm learning how to be a troublemaker. Oh, good. <laughs> kind of like going back to the, the book that I shared from when I went to PLA, but it's in a different realm. So I, I don't even remember how I heard about them, but there's this organization called Red, Wine, and Blue, and they're kind of a political group that's trying to get predominantly women to get more involved in the political process and local mm -hmm. politics and in a way that supports social justice issues. And the first thing I went to of theirs was called Troublemaker Training, but it was specific to pushing back against book challenges in communities. Oh, good. So helping like parents get together and figure out how to organize so that they could push back against other groups. Mm -hmm. that the people who are challenging books do seem like they're working together, right? They you know, are they, organized. They, oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're organized. They have a game plan. And so this group, Red, Wine, and Blue, is trying to do the same for people who, you know, value intellectual freedom and social justice. So I went to a training of theirs a couple of months ago. And then while they were in that training, they talked about how they had another one that they kind of pulled together very quickly because what they were seeing is a lot of challenges to comprehensive sex education in schools. So I went to that training as well. And in it, there was a woman who was talking, who was, lives in Worcester, Massachusetts, and is working with the schools and had successfully helped integrate a comprehensive sex ed program, age appropriate for grades mm -hmm. K through 12. And I learned that it, here in Massachusetts, even though we think of ourselves as this, you know, blue state liberal, mm. you know, place where a lot of firsts happen, like, you know, first state to legalize same-sex marriage, we still don't have any rules about mm. sex ed in schools. There is this bill that's passed in the Senate. I think it's waiting to get passed in mm. the House, but they've been trying to pass it for over 12 years. Wow. I didn't realize, I've heard of the bill, but yes. I didn't realize it was that long. <laughs> 12 years. I thought it was like from this year. Or no, something. well, I oh mean, they goodness. did it again yeah. this year, Yeah, but it's called the Healthy Youth Act. And what it basically says is that if a school district is going to teach sex ed, that it needs to be scientifically mm. accurate. And it needs to include things like consent and bullying mm -hmm. and support of genders and, you know, mm -hmm. like to be really inclusive as right. well. And so it's a, it's an amazing act. It's really important, but there's been a lot of pushback from one particular organization, a very conservative kind of political think tank in Massachusetts, and they've just successfully pushed back against it because they're organized. And so mm -hmm. I decided that my new like personal advocacy thing is going to be around this and helping the organizations that are working on it. And there are a couple of different organizations. One of them is Mass Equality. And I've talked to a bunch of people at some other nonprofits that are working on this. What's also going to happen, they think, is that once the act passes, that then there's going to be challenges at each specific school district level mm -hmm. of people saying, no, I don't want this taught to my kid. And the thing is that, you know, I have done a lot of, of reading now and a lot of listening. I've gone to multiple trainings about this, that when we talk about sex ed for like second and third grade, it's not teaching them about sex. It's right. teaching them about like, you know, conversations about how to be a good friend and how mm -hmm. to, to yeah, for consent. Well, things. consent, then, right. That yeah. you can consent doesn't always mean 
advanced sexual activity no, you know no. I, the whole thing of like you don't have to hug your auntie exactly. or uncle if you don't yes. want to and as an auntie like i don't push that at all i do not push hugs or kisses you know i let the child direct that exactly. and that's really important to me but a lot of people don't know about that they don't think about that but it starts at that young age that children yeah. they should know like when they can say no to something and their body is right and And that might be something that they do only learn in school yeah and and it's really important and what's what's really what's unfortunate is that you know the conservative arms that are pushing against this say that teaching comprehensive sex ed is grooming kids Mm -hmm. but the, the, the reality is that teaching comprehensive sex ed actually keeps kids safe right it keeps them safe because it helps teach them what is okay and what right. isn't and, and the boundaries of their own body right. and consent and, and who to talk to if right. something's going on at home and or to avoid grooming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I have spent a lot of mental energy in this space over the last couple of months. And it was funny. Like I was trying to think of like, what did I learn? What am I going to talk about on the podcast? And I'm like, oh, wait, this is the <laughs> thing. And I can talk yeah. about it too. And so if people want to know more about it, we, you know, I can share the links either to the trainings, right. but also to the Healthy Youth Act, cool. but because it's relevant outside of Massachusetts too. This is right. something that is happening in almost every state in the U.S., also outside of the U.S., and that we, we really need to work to support the kids in our lives and allow them to have access to information that is really beneficial. Yeah. Please do share all those resources because I want to join you in this. I think it's so important and it's something you can actually make effective change because like you said, the groups that block these things, they are organized. And if you think that they're just individuals being squeaky wheels, you really need to rethink that yeah. and the because that's the only that. way to to combat them it was making me think of hide the pride campaign oh yes yes i actually meant to bring that up oh. <laughs> i was gonna say that the, the reality is that these groups that are pushing back against comprehensive sex ed it's really coming from a place of hate mm-hmm. against lgbtqia right. plus community and right. and that's what's incredibly like disconcerting is that mm-hmm. they're willing to like sacrifice like all of the kids and their right. knowledge of consent and and healthy bodies just right. because they don't like right. sex relationships well, and that basically trans family trans only, individuals and yeah that. and basically that like only missionary style sex between you know cis yep. man and woman <laughs> is yep. like that's the only good kind of sex and it's only about sexual intercourse right either. yeah don't do that yeah. either but and we're not gonna tell you how to do that safely either mm-hmm. but but you know like like anything other than that is deviant yeah is harmful dangerous etc and it's it's just so out of control and this hide the pride thing and it is pride month right now it's middle of june and the idea is to go into libraries and take books off of pride displays yeah. take just you could just take them or you could borrow them and never give or them back hide them. <laughs> yeah like some people are actually hiding them in just the hiding libraries. them in the library okay yeah. well that's a really stupid strategy yeah. <laughs> but there's a group behind it it's called catholic vote and they're a bit of a fringe you know i grew up catholic i don't want to call out <laughs> the whole religion but the thing is is that it's a group it's not yeah. just a few people that you know are kind of making a fuss it's it's a very coordinated effort yeah it's very organized it's planned the word. <clears throat> right and that and so the only way to 
push back on that is to have your own group, your own coordinated effort. Mm -hmm. It's just that power is only going to grow if yeah. it if it is able to like not have any kind of opponent yeah. that really can work against them. Well, again, I feel like a lot of us, especially those who would classify ourselves as supporters of social justice, we mm -hmm. tend to feel like in Massachusetts, we're protected. Right. We're not. I, last week at our local library trustee meeting, we had an individual show up with his video camera to record the meeting. And then he read a statement complaining about our pride event, which <laughs> was hosted. It actually was sponsored by our human rights and inclusion committee, but it was on the library property mm -hmm. and complaining about that. But then also complaining about all the books and I'm just using quotes in the <laughs> libraries. And then he listed some specific titles and they were, but I'm were sure he's all, never read. No, of course not. <laughs> but they were all either, you know, queer or written by people of color. And of course, mm -hmm. like they're the same, yeah. same books all right. the time. And it's so transparent to yeah. me, that whole thing. Yeah. It's so obvious. It's like the it books is. that people are complaining about are not written by old white dudes. Nope. Except maybe Tom Sawyer. But he's dead. <laughs> I'm like the only one I could think of though, you know, and it's not, it's not a recent issue. It's, <laughs> but yeah. you know what I mean? Like you look at the titles and the characters and the authors of these books that are being challenged right now. And it's so obvious. It yeah. should be, it should be embarrassing, but these groups I know. and these people yeah. are not embarrassed. They have no, no shame. And you're right. It happens in every state. And who's the, <laughs> I shouldn't even go down this rabbit hole, but I've kind of blocked her from my mind, the person running for secretary of state. Raina Campbell. Um, and just Raina the stuff yeah. she says, I was talking to a friend about, it. I'm like, I can't even repeat the no. thing. Yeah. And it's just fear mongering and yeah. sort of. Oh, absolutely. Um, the discussion I had a friend was like, does this person really believe this is what's happening? Or are they just saying this to get to get like attention. a reaction and to and get reaction. attention yeah. and to sound like Trump, quite frankly? Oh, absolutely. The the stuff I read, it was word salad, but like really weird sexual word salad <laughs> about yeah. kids. And it's sort of like, you know, the person with the problem, I think, is you. But again, I feel like there's no chance this person's going to win. On the other hand, Hey, I've been surprised before. But and it's also, so, I don't even know if the, her end goal is to win. For those of yeah, you not, it's a good point. not in Massachusetts, there's a woman running for secretary of state here who has been going to public libraries and pulling books and videotaping them and posting it on Facebook and basically saying really terrible things about libraries and librarians and then And teachers too, right? Teachers, yeah. And, yeah. And I, I don't even know if winning the election is That's a good necessarily point. even the end goal. I think, it, like, honestly, and this sounds a little conspiracy theory, <laughs> but like that the end goal is dismantling the public system. Mm -hmm. You know, if we get enough people angry about this, right. that they stop voting for, you know, the library budgets or they right. stop supporting public schools right. and, and we just like take down all these public individuals and public institutions mm -hmm. that you know that are really that support systems yeah exactly for our communities right no that's a good point because i do feel like well again this person seems really delusional if they believe the things that they say i also believe they probably think that they could win but maybe but i think you're right that's really not the point and at the end of the day even if they don't that 
again, this kind of message is getting out there. It's just very disturbing and sad. I feel like I, I can't finish this conversation without like putting in a plug for the other woman who's running for Secretary oh, yes, please. of State in Massachusetts. Her name is Tanisha Sullivan. She was, I think she was the head of the NAACP in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was the chief diversity officer for the Boston Public Schools. She is amazing. She's from She's Brockton, which is where yes. I'm from. Yes. <laughs> so please don't confuse the two. Right. <laughs> uh, they're very different people. Tanisha Sullivan is fabulous. And she has my full support. And I am really excited about what she has to say and what she wants to do for Massachusetts. So thank you for adding that in. (laughs) And again, how important it is to vote, not just in the major presidential elections. Yeah. So keep your eye out for that. Yeah. So after that whole like whirlwind. Well, (laughs) it's going to get a lot better because I'm going to talk about the podcast because of Anita, which is about, yeah, about Anita Hill's testimony. I know that podcast now. Oh, it's really good. Okay. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's anger inducing, <laughs> of course. For sure. And I forget exactly when it came out, but it's fairly new and it's just four or five episodes. So I like that. It's like very focused. And it's hosted by Cindy Levy and Salamisha Tillett. And they were both young women at the time of Anita Hill's testimony. Uh, And so for any listeners who don't really know, I'm going to give like a three second (laughs) synopsis. But in 1991, Anita Hill testified about sexual harassment that she had experienced by then Supreme Court nominee Clarence Thomas. That was back though when they had worked together at two different organizations. And this was at his confirmation hearing by the Senate Judiciary Committee. And in 1991, I was about 17 and I was really like a clueless idiot. And (laughs) I sort of remember a little bit of this going on. I didn't really watch the hearings. I don't remember watching them or talking about them at school, which is no surprise, really. I don't really remember talking about like with friends or family, but I do remember a very like sort of visceral reaction from what I did see on the news or what I would read about that. You know, I do believe this woman, this Mm -hmm. happened to her and she is being wronged so again even as like a young person who did not you know i didn't have a lot of experience in the world myself i i wasn't really following this all that closely but again just the bits i saw i was like this is fucked up sorry bleep (laughs) am i gonna have to bleep this when i edit but this is like just to me it was so messed up but to the people involved especially the all white oh, all male exactly, yeah. um judicial senate judiciary committee yeah. was like I, I again i wonder like do you really believe that or you know do you really not believe this do you really believe what you're saying what you're asking or are you just trying to protect your party or protect yeah. your position whatever whatever it is but i i was in eighth grade mm-hmm. at the time and i was on the newspaper staff for my school. So that's the only reason I don't remember talking about my my family or anything or seeing it on the news, Mm -hmm. but we, we actually watched some of the confirmation newspaper class and talked about it. And I had a super hippie, liberal, crunchy teacher. Thank goodness though. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think our eighth grade had a newspaper. So that's great. I, I like, I'm just so grateful for that. Because that was the first time that I was like, whoa, 
whoa, this is not okay. Like, I think that moment was one of the first moments that I'm like, it's not like being a woman here is not good. And especially a black woman. Yeah. And, and so this is interesting because you do hear about, you know, what happened through the eyes of these women who were young at the young, much younger at the time. I think one was 20 and one was 16. These are the hosts of the podcast. But then you also get interviews with people who were involved at the time, including Kimberly Crenshaw, which I, I don't, I didn't know that. And she's the one, she's the person who talks about intersectionality. You know, this happened like 30 years ago. And so that's really informed her whole life, I think. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of the women that they talked to on the podcast. And so I learned more about, you know, the whole testimony, the whole experience that I didn't know. And, and of course, like I became just infuriated <laughs> as well, I'm yeah. listening. Yeah. But I, one thing I didn't know is that there were other women ready to testify that had also been harassed or who had witnessed harassment. What? Um, yeah, they were there in DC ready to go like we're here they're like i don't know if they're necessarily on the schedule i can't remember that but basically they were told oh we're, we don't need you to testify we just want a written statement i think there are at least two other women i, I listened That's to the first the episode narrative. a while ago no no not at yeah. all and also joe biden was then a senator and he was the chair of this judicial committee i think this might have come up during his campaign yeah. but you know, you're just listening to it and you're like, oh man, like this could have gone so differently. Maybe yeah. not because fast forward, they also talk about Brett Kavanaugh's nomination hearings. And there's actually a conversation between Anita Hill and Christine Blasey Ford and talking Ooh. about, yeah, that, you know, that it's about Anita Hill's legacy and the impact of her testimony, but also like what's changed and what hasn't. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just really great. It's really well produced. They talk to so many different people, again, people who were involved at the time, but then also people like looking back, Carrie Washington is also oh, cool. um, on there. So again, she wasn't necessarily involved at the time, but she plays Anita Hill in a series I haven't mm-hmm. seen. And so she speaks about observing that and then how that informed her portrayal of Anita. So yeah, it's it's just really good and really important. And even I think if you were a good doobie and you <laughs> like yeah. watched watch the hearings, read I mean Anita Hill is a book I've never read. You know, even if you've done all that, I think you would learn a lot from the podcast. And like again, as hard as it is to listen to this and oh just the questions that, the, yeah. that these men ask, the things that they say are just, it's just ho- so horrific. But I think it still just would be interesting to hear and you would learn something. Yeah. And spoiler alert, Clarence Thomas did become Supreme Court Justice. Oh, April, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, sorry. <laughs> but, uh, but it also helps me sort of put, you know, again, like what's happening now into some context. Gosh. But yeah, make sure you take some anger breaks. Breathing. And, yeah. Well, thank you. I, yeah. I wrote it down and I will go listen. Excellent. I hope others do too. And, and let us we'll know. we'll go smash things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we've got it on our calendar. So we can move from anger to love. What do you, <laughs> yes, let's. What do you love right now? I kind of feel like I need to apologize first. Because oh. I'm going to talk about yet another Marvel series on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but I really was thinking about this, like, oh, you you love a few things. Come on, you can think of something. But nothing right now surpasses my love of Ms. Marvel on Disney+. Plus. Oh. Did you, you know, watch I, any? We watched the first two episodes. Yeah. I almost picked this as my love. So oh, I'm so glad that, that you're so doing fun. it. Like, yes. That would have been fun, aww. though. Yes. So Ms. Marvel is a character. It's like a... What do I want to say? Like a sub version of Captain Marvel. And there are different variations of Ms. Marvel, yeah. which I didn't know before, but I knew about and had read the comic Ms. Marvel written by G. Willow Wilson. And I loved it. I thought the it was comic so was good. so yeah. great. I loved the artwork. I loved the story. I don't think I got through all of them, but I read quite a few at the beginning. This one I still worked in a library, so it's easy to get them when they first came in. So I was really excited to learn they were making a series on Disney, especially because I have really liked what they've done so far with these Marvel like little mini series. They've been so good. So I felt pretty confident this would be great, but it's really like blown me away. And I think part of it is how it maintains the teen sort of vibe like mm -hmm. it reminded me of a little like never have i ever yeah, you know that yeah. sort of quirkiness but like but with superpowers mm -hmm. so kamala khan is a muslim pakistani american teen so right off the bat this is very different from other comics i do think she's the first muslim superhero like i think so, main yeah. character yeah. in a comics and she lives in jersey city which i have to say if it's anything like the show i want to go like looks so fun <laughs> <laughs> it looks like really fun and i even said to my husband like because there there's one scene where they're like sh she's shopping with her mom and i'm like i want to live there like i want to eat those foods and i want to go to those yeah. stores and i want to live in a town like that but Anyway, she's a huge Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers fan, like huge. She sort of lives in her head a little bit. She does all these drawings and she dresses up as her and wants to go to AvengerCon as Captain Marvel. And then she discovers actually that she has superpowers and it's sort of like her dream, like she's so immersed in this comic world or Avenger world, I should say, that she, it's just as unbelievable to her that she could be a part of them. But also because she's like a kid, she's just having fun with it. So I love that too, because like usually when you see the adult superheroes, they're so serious, right? Yeah. They got to save the world. And she's like, you know, they have like her training montage and she's just having fun. And she's like kind of blown away by her own abilities. And mm -hmm. it's just really, it's really cute. And I love the production and the style of the show yes. too. So it's really in keeping in spirit with the comics. So like the characters are walking down the street and there are these murals behind them and they change and animate as they're walking down the street. Or when there's texting, like you'll see it in like a neon sign in the window, like an emoji or part of the text. I just thought that was really cool. And, and it's also just really colorful. Like I love the mm -hmm. color palette of the show. It's so fun and colorful. And that's also part of her culture too like the different colors and sort of fabrics and style and there's one point i think this was an episode two one of her friends who's a white character he says something like is my outfit too colorful and the mother <laughs> yeah. you know the mother's like that is not possible to me like or like you're asking the wrong person so yeah and it's just like really dynamic i thought 
That was really fun. And I also think it's family friendly, but you're the one with the family. So be curious what you think. Yeah, my kids won't watch live action television. They only watch anime. So Mm. I have not been able to convince them to watch it. But my husband and I are really incredibly enjoying ourselves. And we watched episode two on Mm -hmm. my friend Cameron's birthday, which his name should be pronounced Cameron like the <laughs> ah. character on the show it's been totally americanized and yeah i'm sorry well and that but happens in the it does in the yeah. show too yeah yeah in a kind um, of a but it was way. his birthday when mm-hmm. we were watching episode two and i just kept texting I'm like you have to be watching yeah. this show this is so amazing <laughs> because i think even you know the representation is so important and mm-hmm. like to think about what this what it would have been like if that show was on when right. we were kids right and I didn't live his experience. I was an outside observer. And I just remember like all these little moments of maybe things could have been different if, Mm -hmm. if we'd had this representation and it's so good. Well, and and that's actually one of the things I was going to recommend too, is that you watch on Disney Plus, there's, it's called A Fan's Guide to Miss Marvel. And the actress, oh. yeah, it's just a little short, but it's like Ooh, the, about, yeah, it's about the behind the scenes sort of. And the actress that plays Kamala is Iman Vellani. And she was a fan of the comics before she was ever cast. So as a younger girl, she was a fan of Ms. Marvel comics. She was like really into them. Like when you watch this, you're just like, she was the perfect person to pick for this. Plus yeah. she's an amazing actress. Yeah, but she talks great. about that, like how she loved comics, but until Ms. Marvel, she had never seen herself. And then it just kind of is cool because it mirrors the character, like the character, you know, but for our listeners, like the character in the show, she's so obsessed with the real life Avengers. And then she gets to be a hero. Whereas the actress, like she's obsessed with the comics and then she gets to play, (laughs) you know, the person she really connected with. And it's just cute. She's adorable. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. And what is fun too is it's kind of meta, right? So like, She's in she's in her, her world, which is the Marvel world. And so like Ant-Man has a podcast and <laughs> the Avengers are like celebrities, not just superheroes, but kind of yeah. like celebrities. And so that's really fun. And then also sort of what you alluded to, these connections to her and her family's culture, their religion, things come up about that, like at the mosque, you know, how the, the men's area and the women's area are not not the same like the women's area is like falling apart the sinks aren't working all of this so it brings up these kinds of issues and challenges but also the celebrations and the community so i really love it i just it's so much fun it's so great and we are also watching obi-wan at the same time which is also good and great but it's ms marvel that like i get really excited about on wednesdays because they are being released one at a time so like if i could only pick one that would be it and it is what I am currently I'm so loving. Glad. I'm so, so <laughs> glad. <laughs> yeah, please. Ch- and check out the comic too. It's so great. So I, like I said, I almost picked Miss Marvel because it's just so amazing. But I, I went with another show, actually shows. I went with a genre of shows oh. that I realized that I absolutely love. I really love reality dance competitions. Oh, and interesting. <laughs> right now, two specifically, two of them. So the first one that I kind of binge watched through was Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls, which oh, is on I didn't even Amazon know she Prime. had a She does. Show. Yeah. Thanks to my friend Brandy for letting me know about it. Lizzo, if you don't know, when she tours, she has backup dancers who are all big girls. You know, they have bodies mm-hmm. that are curvy and larger and they're still amazing 
incredible dancers. I know, imagine that. (laughs) Right? What a concept. And so the the premise of the show is that she's looking for more dancers, but you know, it kind of can be hard, you know, just putting out a call. Like people will show up for an audition. They're not actually big, you know. (laughs) So this was on, I think, a way to find the dancers, but also another way to kind of get her message out, right. um, which she cool. has such an incredibly amazing and inclusive message. Of, right. Of well, body. and side note about mm-hmm. her, the yes. song that she released Big, that had, a, girls. Yeah, yeah. had a yeah. derogatory term in it. Yep. And she and immediately fixed go it. Go ahead and Google it. But yeah, she fixed yeah. it and in such a great way, you know, owned mm-hmm. up to it, yeah. fixed the lyric. Yeah. Didn't I, make I just, excuses, didn't blame. No, I adore her so much. Yeah. But if you watch the dance competition, you'll love her even more. And the the group you know, starts out, I forget how many are, are there. It's something like 12 or 14. And the rules are very different than any other reality show because as Lizzo points out, sometimes she's like, this is my show, my rules. Yeah, I love and it. one of the competitors is a trans woman. And just watching her every time she does like the the interviews and stuff just gives me chills and like fills me with emotion. And she's also just such an incredible dancer. She can like do a flip and land into the splits. Ooh. And it's like, I don't even know how. And my husband even watched it with me. The whole show was just fabulous. So we finished that. And the 17th season of So You Think You Can Dance is <laughs> now on. And I will say like, I didn't watch the first few seasons. I thought I was not into dance competitions, but no, I really am. (laughs) And then, you know, it was gone for a few years because of the pandemic. And so this year it's back, I think in a kind of a shortened version Mm -hmm. and it has new judges. One of the judges is Jojo Siwa, which I first was like, really, do we have to? But she is a grown yeah. up. She is her own self. Oh, cool. Yeah, I only sort of know who that is, but okay. So, yeah, okay, so she is yeah. a very, very much a um, like a YouTuber, a kids. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and but kind of a celebrity among kids. But mm. she's nineteen or twenty now, mm-hmm. and she came out and has a girlfriend, and she has a whole new style. But she knows her stuff, yeah, and dance stuff. But the reason I wanted to include it in my love with Lizzo mm-hmm. is that this year that there it's like a, a wider diversity of of dancers on the show. And there's one dancer who's a gay guy from Georgia who happens to have a very not typical dance body. Mm -hmm. He's kind of round, but he's Mm -hmm. got really strong legs and he does his audition in heels. Oh, and it's very like flamboyant and like kind of a Broadway style. (laughs) But he He does really well and I am rooting for him and I'm excited (laughs) and his name is Bo and Mm -hmm. I just, I'm just so excited about this this season because it's, it's, it feels different. Right. It feels more inclusive. I mean, they've always been very supportive. It's a very positive kind of reality show. It's not one that makes people feel bad about themselves. Yeah. I would hope so. Think just thinking too about the dance community, not that I know much about it, but I would put that in with the arts and yeah. you know yeah no, it, hope, it's, hoping it's for that at it, least yeah and I feel like it's just getting better and That's it's one good. of those shows that only comes out every week so I'm like mm-hmm. waiting so last night <laughs> we watched an episode and I was like yay the whole thing of releasing shows that way is so funny to me because back in the day back, I'm so old but you know like, yeah back in like 80s and 90s and beyond I guess you know you had to you had to wait there was no there was no even thought of like no. What if you could have this all at once? Only if you bought the VHS or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so to have that back again, in some ways is frustrating, but in some ways I like it. I do think, especially during the pandemic, when it was 
going on stronger with like yeah. lockdowns it kind of gave you something to look forward to that was a little different and yeah we make wednesday nights pretty much a date night for us because that's usually when disney releases whatever like comic yeah. or star wars show is going on ours is thursday so, like so yeah. last night we also watched the new newest episode of star trek strange new oh Worlds, we haven't totally seen that yet other love of mine so. <laughs> save it for next time. i will <laughs> Well, and speaking of, we do hope you'll join us for next time. And thanks for listening today. Yeah. So we're going to take a break for the summer. But we, yeah, we got some vacations we, coming up. What a, right? What a concept. Uh, at least I have one. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> I we, are, we will be going away for a week in August. Yeah. So Good. I'm excited. So yeah. thank you everybody for listening. Please reach out to us and follow us everywhere. Listening and subscribing does help others discover the podcast. And that's always fun. We love having our listeners find us and we have listeners from all over the world. So thank you. And that's also a way you can support us without spending any money. Tell other people about us, follow us, subscribe, review us on whatever reviewing site you use. And yeah, thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to This Podcast is Overdue with Christy and April. Bye, everyone. Happy reading. Our podcast music was provided by thepodcasthost.com and Alidu, the podcast maker. Find your own free podcast music over at thepodcasthost.com slash free music. Um, it does help people know who we who the what the the the. the. <laughs> <laughs>